Welcome to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Stark. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything with a nerd at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show 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 welcome back to the board game community show today i am rejoined by a previous guest my good friend brian chandler how are you doing hey riley i am great thanks so much for having me good well for people who may or may not remember or didn't hear that episode what what do you do? Yeah, thanks for asking. So, uh, yeah, my name is Brian Chandler. Uh, my kind of my primary role, I think, in in the games world right now is I um, run a website called ColorblindGames.com. So the purpose of that site is to review games, preview games, particularly looking at um, color vision and low vision barriers and accessibility needs. Um, I am colorblind myself, and so kind of some of my I guess, quote unquote, work in the industry um, has been a focus on that barrier, potential barrier for people and trying to find ways so that more people can play more games. So that's much of what I do. Also have most recently, probably since the last time we talked, gotten into proofreading and editing and um, doing actually some real work, paid work for um, some folks who have done some of that for Stonemaier Games worked on the most recent um, Asia expansion for Wingspan that's about to come out, um, Viticulture World. Um, got to work on the rulebook and the other components, doing some proofreading stuff there, and done a little bit of review and rulebook stuff for Flat Out Games and a couple others. And then I'm always happy to look at rulebooks, um, provide reviews, especially on the accessibility side. I love seeing um, early versions, so either prototypes or kind of early versions of games so that I can take a look and even provide feedback. So ideally, I'd love to review games earlier so that they are colorblind friendly, low vision friendly when they come out versus what I probably still do the most of is review published games off the shelf and then provide an assessment, sometimes even a modification to that game of um, what are some things that I do to change. I mentioned Viticulture. Viticulture is the base game is one of my favorite games, but I cannot play that game out of the box. And so um, I've actually modded up or mocked up that game with a Sharpie um, so that I could distinguish the colors better and then wrote an article about that. So there's other things, hopefully providing some examples for um, some games like that that other people could see. And then I've also um, tried to do uh, profiles of other people in the community who are colorblind and do this kind of work. Um, recently wrote a profile for Arwen from Cardboard Time, who I know has been on your show. Um, yeah. Eric and other, just basically people in the community that are colorblind that I'm um, trying to get that out there. It's a fairly common um, issue that folks have. Uh, again, if you're sitting at a table of six people, then there's more than a 25% chance that at least one of those people is has some kind of color vision deficiency. And those deficiencies are very different. There's three primary types, but then there's also different levels among those. 
depending on lighting conditions and the certain colors that are used. Um, I don't even see things exactly the same way every time. And so uh, being able to kind of have that in mind and thinking about how can we, again, just help more people get to play more games and try to reduce those barriers as best we can. Yeah, it's really fascinating. I love going on, like, I'm not colorblind, but I still love going on your site and looking at uh, the, you know, like how it stacks up. I do have quite a few colorblind gaming friends, and so that's always useful. Um, But usually they're the ones recommending the fancy games to me, like Wingspan. (laughs) Uh, But but yeah, I I just picked up Viticulture World, and I was really, when I picked it up, I was like, hey, my buddy's name is on this thing. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was, I knew that's my official first name on the box um, game, so I was pretty excited about that. Recently, you've been to uh to shucks yeah um i got to go up to vancouver i'm um, just a what now week and a half ago or so um as of this recording and yeah. it's cool i it was my very first conference and yeah i would love to just kind of share some of the i hadn't been to a so i've really only been in the hobby as a hobby gamer for four or five years so you know with covid and everything happening and you know i had um teenage kids at home who are now um, both at college um, it was an opportunity to go up there. I live near Seattle, so it's a you know relatively easy trip up to Vancouver to check it out. So yeah, and kind of I was kind of glad it was a medium-sized conference. You know, I hadn't I had been to like PAX West, which is mostly video games here in Seattle. Um, has a little bit of board game stuff, but I had never been to a full tabletop focused conference. So um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. So the yeah, the event kind of consists of really three main things. There's a vendor hall that was you know fairly small but very active the entire time. Um, there's a program of you know events and panels and presentations and stuff like that that happened. And then the to me at least the the main part of where I spent the most time was just in the open play space. They had a huge library of games that you could check out for free and borrow. Um, and just, you know, tables upon tables of that. So that's a, a lot of what I did. I also went um, by myself, which was kind of weird. I haven't been to a really any kind of conference like that um, by myself before. And I knew I wasn't going to know very many people, but I had a handful of people who I knew were going. Um, one that I did know before, either in person or online. Um, and then that was kind of an exciting piece, too. So I definitely want to talk about a lot of the people who I had a chance to meet. But the event itself was um, just cool. It was, they did a really nice job. It was um, full vaccination required, which I think Canada requires it anyway, um, right. and um, masks the entire time. And I probably the first time I've seen like literally 100% mask wearing at a mask required event. And yeah. as far as I at least saw later on, um, I didn't see a single person um, that mentioned that I knew was at Shucks that mentioned getting COVID after. So. That's pretty cool and pretty rare. I haven't seen any other conferences ever, including, you know, Essen this last week that where people are coming back um, sick. So it's been cool. So that was really great. Yeah. And that helped me a lot. Just feel comfortable going. Um, it was a little uncomfortable. I live in a smaller town now um, in Western Washington and haven't been, you know, masking regularly, just being out and about my neighborhood. And so it was different to kind of put that mask back on all the time, both for the flight um, and for um, the time at the conference. But Frankly, I got used to it very quickly and it was so normalized that it just, it was a non-issue. So that's cool. Yeah. 
And yeah, as mentioned, I I actually didn't go to the session. So I'm I listened to Shut Up and Sit, sit Down. I I like them fine, but I'm not like a super fan. So the they did like an autograph session and a you know live oh, okay. recording of one of their podcast episodes as part of what they did in, in there. But then also did some cool panels. I just happened to miss those because I was playing games the whole time. So <laughs> I know that's the exciting part. It's, it's it was so for fun me, having a you library. Know, Especially, yeah, you get to literally play anything you want because there was hundreds of games in this library. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't really, I haven't played much with other people really since COVID and since our move from Seattle. And so um, just to get to sit down at a table and play with people was cool. And one thing they did do that was helpful, there's definitely that kind of uh, anxious or awkward experience of, hey, I'm at a conference all by myself. I don't have a natural person to go play with or go find a table with or whatever is they had this balloon system where you grab a game, you go to your table. If you have a blue balloon on your table, then you're inviting other people to join your game as you kind of get it set up and learn the rules, which I thought was really handy for me. Cause that was me. I was like the plus one or the, you know, adding on to some of these game tables yeah. and playing with random people was always a little bit nervous at first, at least for me, but I found it fantastic. I had a great time. Um, met some really cool people. Um, mostly a lot, most of the people who were there were fairly regional. So either they were from, you know, Canada or maybe Washington or Oregon. So there, there might've been people who I knew people who they knew. So that was kind of nice to have some of that conversation, but yeah, overall really fun. So maybe just, uh, yeah. I mean, any questions about like the event itself or any, yeah. I know, I think from here from, you've only been to local cons, right? You haven't been to like yeah. a larger regional or, or national. Yeah. I'm always yeah, curious about. Because, like, here we've got SaltCon, and the vendor hall there is really, really small. Like, it, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's okay sized, but I usually walk pretty quickly through there, and it's not that there's not anything, like, super special there, but it's not like, you know, you don't have AEG coming and bringing their newest games. You don't have, you know, like, the big publishers coming and bringing games to it and showing off and demoing things. So really the big highlight is, you know, usually you go, you, you might walk through there once uh, or walk through half of it and be like, okay, I've seen it all. And then you just go and you go to the game library and play games. So what was that like? What was the, like the vendor experience like? Yeah, it was definitely bigger than that. So specifically AEG was there. Um, in fact, probably my favorite game of the con was Ready, Set, Bet by John D. Clare. It's a horse betting game um so the general idea is these the horse race occurs and you have no influence on the horses themselves but you are betting kind of like in a craps style if you've ever seen a craps table like at a casino or whatever so you've got your chips and you're placing your chips on these different places on the board in real time based on who you think or which horse you think is going to win that race uh, the horses winning are based on just dice rolls by kind of like a, a game master who's doing the dice rolls and doing the race, or there is an app um, that you can use as well. So if everybody wants to play the game, um, you can play, it plays up to eight. And we actually, I think both, or I played two or three times, the times that I played, we had either somewhere between six and eight people. It was really fun. Once somebody places a bet on a certain place, you can't place your chip there. And so it was a fun, like as a horse gets ahead, people are, you know, it's, it's just exciting. There's definitely yelling at the end. So it's one of those kind of party <laughs> games and approachable enough that I think it would really be a good, like extended family holiday type 
game. So it's definitely on my radar. Um, and there's different levels. There's kind of like the basic game and then you can add things to it. So we, we could played with all the modules, but kind of envisioned even talk to John about it. You definitely can just play a very basic version. That's something that like my parents would probably enjoy playing. So I think that was just a neat. So that's a really cool game. Um, and that I did, I played at the vendor hall. So they were doing lots of demos. I was in the demo hall or the exhibitor hall or vendor room, whatever, quite a bit because of that. And because they were also busy that I often would walk by and wasn't able to play a game. In fact, I was going to start some games I did not play, <laughs> um, but wanted to was um, Tabriz by Randy Flynn. Oh yeah. Uh, Wormholes by Peter McPherson and Crop Circle Champions, which is going to be published by Jellyfish Games. So Cody is here in Seattle. Um, he published Vamp on the Batwalk, um, yeah. which is a game I reviewed a couple years ago. Um, and those look really neat. Uh, specifically Crop Circle Champions, I did get to do the little mini demo of that. It's got a lot of similarities to, in my mind, to Calico. It's kind of hex-based. It's crop circles instead of a quilt, but you're trying to make the different patterns in a similar way that, that Calico does that. So I think it's going to be um, pretty cool, neat-looking art. And That's fun. With a, couple, with a couple of those, also got to have conversations about um, color vision and things that I maybe could even suggest as part of a demo of games that aren't done yet. So that was fun. Um, Flat Out Games was there. Probably 15 or 20 vendors in the vendor hall. One of the big just retailers in Canada, I forget the name of the store. I think there was a store in Vancouver was there. So they just had essentially a storefront of a lot of games um, for purchase. So that kind of thing. One of the big kind of dice maker companies. I'm not really a dice person, not in a negative way. Just it's not my thing. Yeah. But I can see if it was somebody's thing, that would be really cool. Even Catan was there. So they had a little booth and showing off like the big, super fancy Catan. You could see that on the table. And so it was, yeah, it was a good mix. And then, oh, and then next to that, there was a, they call it like the indie hall or something. So there was a, some tables where independent games were being play tested and they got to show those off. Oh, that's cool. So that was cool too. I love that. I love getting to see, often those are smaller games, although not always. There were a couple of really big meaty games there too. Um, there's one, I forgot the name. It's, some, it's called something like Rebuilding Seattle. And it's actually a bad base in Seattle. It's kind of a big um, polyomino game. I didn't get to do a full playthrough of that, but it looked really neat. Um, the different Tableau player boards or different neighborhoods in Seattle, one of them happened to be the where I used to live in Queen Anne. So that was just cool to see like, I could play my old neighborhood as, as part of the game. So that was pretty fun to see. Um, one game that I was really excited about in the, uh, in the indie hall was called rum runner by Chris Glein. Chris is a um, designer here in Seattle. I wanted to click on his name cause he has a game out from last year studies in sorcery from weird giraffe games. I haven't played Studies and Sorcery, but yeah, I mainly knew Chris as kind of a friend of a friend in the Seattle design community. Rum Runner is a two-player asymmetric game where you either play the crown or you play the pirates, and you're trying to get rum. And small box, card-based game, uh, really cool. Um, Chris did the art as well, and the art style is really interesting. Um, so I love that game. It's still kind of developing it and getting it finalized, but I think it's going to come to crowdfunding in early 23 so i'll be tracking that one for sure that's called rum runner after yeah, and after yeah so that was a lot of my experience in the vendor hall was doing you know the, the five minute demo of getting to see a lot of 
different kind of games. There's a publisher in Portland I didn't know called Weird City Games. And uh, they have a couple, I didn't do my notes very well, but they have a couple uh, nature-based games So um, that are, one's called Canopy. I think that's been out for a while. That's kind of like building these trees. Um, then there's another one called Leaf that looks really interesting. And anytime, again, back to the color vision thing, anytime there's a nature-based game, I get a little bit nervous because nature is one of the hardest things for me to see, frankly, in terms of distinguishing colors from each other in real life and in gaming. I mean, I can enjoy a sunset just fine, but I know I'm not seeing all the kind of nuances of color that some other people might see. And that happens in nature too, right? As we go into the autumn, getting to see the leaves change, I'm often not seeing the same like detail of different colors that others might see. And I can rarely identify them by name. So this game leaf is a bunch of leaves in a bunch of different fall colors, but they did a nice job with double coding. So you can, there's actually different double coding means there's additional information other than just color that would help people who have a color deficiency be able to distinguish say an orange leaf from a yellow leaf from the red leaf from the brown leaf. And so the colors might look similar to me, but that's okay because I can see the um, other elements that allow me to see it. So, yeah, so it's cool. So Vendor Hall was cool. Just getting to talk to people who are excited about games and make games is just a just fun. And that the entire event is just people who are into the same thing you're into um, was great. So, yeah, thumb, thumbs up cons overall. <laughs> it makes it feel like networking made easy, right? Like, because everybody there's into the same thing. You're sitting down, playing a game, learning a game, and you're getting to meet people and, and get to know people and make new friends. Absolutely. And I think it's the the new and old friends of, yeah, let me, I was going to talk about games first and people. Let's talk about people. So I got to meet a lot of people in different categories. So one of them was what you saw of kind of like meeting your heroes of like, hey, these are people whose names are on the box of games that I've loved. Um, I mentioned John D. Clare. It's funny, the first time I was doing that demo of Ready, Set, Bet, um, it turns out John D. Clare was doing the rolling the dice and doing the whole race, and I didn't even know it until about half halfway through. Oh. So I had never seen him like to know what he looked like. Um, I just heard him do an interview with somebody a few weeks ago. Um, again, but anyway, but I've played you know Space Base, and um, actually one of my surprises I will talk about is Kabitos. I had not played Kabitos before. That's an AEG game. It's a racing game from a couple years ago. Yeah, um, it was really fun. I don't know why I hadn't played it, um, but it was cool. I had a great time. Just played that. I think I played a five-player game with um, just some random people, and had a great time. So that's actually that's my surprise of the con was was Kabitos. That's awesome. I've always heard good things, but I've never tried it. And I, it's one that I'm like, why why haven't I tried it? But I'll yeah, I give it. it a go sometime if you're at a store or you have a friend who has it or whatever. I definitely give it. A, it's on my list now to kind of have my eye out for. I think it. Would, could be really fun. I haven't played it at lower player counts, um, which is where I what I tend to play more often. But um, at five, it was great. I had a great time, and it plays really fast. Even at five, you're doing a lot of things simultaneously. I love those games. When you get to higher player counts, you can do things at the same time. Fantastic Factories is another good example of that. The game kind of plays about the same length, you know, no matter how many players they are, because of that. And I think that's generally true with Kubitos. As well, nice. so getting to meet John, kind of talk to him, even tell him that story of, hey, for some reason I hadn't played Kibitos and I really enjoyed it. So share that with, him. and then just hear other people go up to him and like have him sign their copy of Space Base and things like that. It was really cool. So that was fun. On that same list would be um, Peter McPherson. Um, Peter, I've known quite a bit. I'm online. Peter is colorblind. Uh, he's a designer of Tiny Towns. 
and um, as mentioned, wormholes, and then uh, oh, a game I haven't talked about yet, Unfit to Print. So this will be on one of my stories today. It'll be about Fit to Print, which is a new game uh, coming out from Flatout Games. It'll be on Kickstarter later this year, and Peter is the uh, designer of that. So awesome. Um, and I have yeah, because of his own color vision deficiency, he and I have been on videos together before and done some things. But to get to actually finally meet him in person was fun. Uh, we were partners in a team game of wits and wagers that we played one evening and we did terrible, but had a great time um, <laughs> doing really bad at wits and wagers. But it was fun to just say, get to sit down and like talk to people and uh, see people in person who I you know hadn't had a chance to meet yet. So that was definitely one of those. Um, I had met before um, Emma Larkins. She's also here in Seattle. She's designed abandoned all artichokes along with some other stuff. She was, yeah, uh, she did a stint on ludology for a year or two. Um, she's fantastic. So just to get to spend some more time with her, even talk to her, that probably abandoned all artichokes is probably my wife and I's most played game recently. And um, we play that a lot. I lose most of the time, but even hearing some of the inside story about other vegetables that didn't make the cut or that other ideas that she has for either an expansion or even another game that might have similar ideas, but um, some other things was really cool just to hear about. I just like hearing designers talk and then yeah. hearing them talk together. So then hearing Emma and Peter and others talk to each other about game design and get to kind of be a fly on the wall was fantastic. So that was fun. That was really cool. Um, and then, yeah, Sean and Molly at Flat Out Games. I've actually known them for a while. Sean and I used to be neighbors. We we're just a few blocks from each other and uh, frequented the same local game store. So I would see him quite a bit, but getting to spend some more time with them and just talk more about, you know, what they're up to, what games they have. They've got some new stuff coming out as well. So that's pretty cool. There's a newest game, I guess, from Flatout, besides Fit to Print, is, oh, Point City. So it's in the Point Salad oh, right. universe or the styling of Point Salad in terms of art design, um, but a different type of game, but kind of some similar elements. The front and the back have some similar elements of point salad kind of like if you like point salad then you should definitely take a look at point city so that one is done and i forget now i think it maybe is going straight to retail um fairly soon that was good and then on the not designer side also getting to meet like uh, content creators so got to spend some time with the cardboard kid and their family so that was fun we just chatted one morning and just to hear kind of what they're up to and what they're doing. They they're out of or near Edmonton, I think. So it was a pretty good trip over for them. And just to, even just to get to say, Hey, I really want to like your stuff, like to tell other people who make things in person that I really enjoy seeing their things and folks that I've only seen them on video. So to get to then, you know, meet them in person was fun. Um, and then Ilya and Tyler from Cavre got to meet them. Yeah. They came over from Edmonton as well. And yeah, they're fantastic. They're just as kind of cool and fun and funny as on their videos. There is always nice to see people like, Oh, this is, you are who I thought you were. Like that was definitely the experience with those guys. So I had yeah. Yeah, just had a great time getting to hang out with them and play with them a bit. Um, and a lot of people who I haven't mentioned, I can't even uh, mention Cody from uh, jellyfish games. He yeah, has funny. He and I actually, our day jobs are within sight distance of each other in downtown Seattle. Um, we can see each other's buildings yet. We hadn't met in person yet. So we had to go up to Canada to get to meet. So trying to schedule some <laughs> lunches or something in the future so we could play games or just get to reconnect again. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, again, a long list of folks who I'm sure that I met and hadn't mentioned. 
But, oh, one other one I did want to mention. I got to meet Alex Carey. Um, Alex um, leads a group called the Playability Consultancy, of which I am a part of. Um, and it is primarily focused on uh, video games, but have also dabbled a little bit in talking about board games as well. So I'm part of this group called Playability, and really our role or our our work is to help game companies make their games more accessible to people with barriers. And so I'm like the little colorblind piece of that, but then we've got um, folks who are fully blind, have no sight. Um, Alex is um, uses a wheelchair and has limitation motor limitations with his hands as well. And um, we have cognitive barriers, some other people that are specialists in other areas, deaf and low hearing. And so it's been really interesting to be part of that group. And really, it's really opened my eyes to all the different barriers that each of us might experience as we're trying to play games, video games or board games, and then finding new ways to do that. Alex is in Vancouver, so it was awesome. He was gracious enough to travel to where I was at the convention center in Vancouver, and we got to meet and have lunch and spend some time together. So that was fantastic. I was thrilled to get to meet him in person. And um, that's a brand new thing that he's just stood up over the last year. And so I'm really excited. I think there's a, a lot more coming from that, have a lot of opportunities to to help folks. And I'm hoping there's a way to kind of blend that or shift that over into board games. But it also helps me dabble back into video games, which is what I played the most as a, a kid and a teenager. And so to get to go back and do some of that and, and do it for, again, the same purpose of you know helping more people play more games. There's been a lot of good work in colorblind accessibility over time. And so in video games, especially. And so I think there's um, some things that we can learn on the tabletop side from, from what we're learning over there too. So yeah, that was the kind of big, big, long, but incomplete list of, of all the folks that I had a chance to meet. And really, truly, that was probably my favorite part was just getting to spend time. Even, you know, my last day, I had to leave a little bit early on Sunday. Um, I actually had a day job work trip in Alaska um, that next week. And so I didn't get to stay all day Sunday, but Sunday I ended up um, barely playing some games. I actually set up a game of number nine, which is a little um, kind of tiling game. I set that up just by myself and put up the blue balloon and just was, you can play that game solo. So I was playing a solo game and like two different random people came by and sat at the table and we played a few rounds of number nine, which is one of my favorite games. I'm a big proponent of that game and make a big point of trying to get other people into that game. It's inexpensive, super easy to play. Game probably plays in about 10, maybe 15 minutes at the most. Um, and very portable, even though it's in a kind of regular size box, I'll actually take a solo version of that and stick it in a Ziploc bag and take it with me on trips because you can play. You don't need all the components. And on the other side, if you buy extra boxes, you can play 8 or 12 or 16. There's really no limit of how many people you could play that game with. And Wow. So, yeah, so that's a good one. Number nine. That's cool. So with the like kind of random people you met and on publishers, like it sounds like, you know, you made connections. Do you like trade numbers with people? Do you connect online? Do you, I don't know. Like what kind of do you feel like you made like friends that you'll keep in contact with? Yeah. So a couple of things I did that I was a little surprised by. I did go ahead and make a little set of business cards with uh, the stuff I do. So uh-huh. um, it's got a little, well, not for listeners, but I'll show you on the. I'll ooh and odd it for the... <laughs> Please do. So my oh, nice. Colorblind Games logo on the front and then on the back, it's just got my name and my contact information. But also the things I do with playability, which I talked about before. Um, and I hadn't mentioned, I'm also a part of the Tabletop Express with Chris and Ryan. I know you've been on with them um, several times. 
Yeah. I uh, had that on the back too. So just kind of having my, it's kind of like, what is that thing you have online um, where you can put all your link, link tree? It's like my link tree, but yeah. on the business card, right? So it's a very old school. I mean, I'm 46 years old, so I feel like I needed to have a business card. Um, and <laughs> it looks good. Surprising, thank you. Um, designed it myself. And surprisingly, I handed out quite a few of them. Um, I thought that was so, yeah, a lot of, a lot of times the conversation, especially when I was doing a demo or even when I was sitting around, you know, playing with random people I didn't know is I would sometimes need to out myself and say, Hey, I, can somebody help me with these colors? I can't see them because we were just playing games that I had never played before. Um, yeah. I didn't know what their vision deficiency issues or what kind of barriers I might run into are. Um, extremely gracious, kind, amazing people. I never had anybody that, you know, had any kind of negative, anything to say. Everybody was really helpful if I needed help. And then that did open up a conversation of, oh, that's interesting. I have a friend who's colorblind, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, by the way, this is really, this is a thing I do. And so I got to hand out the cards and have that conversation either with a, especially newer designers who are putting out games. I um, got to talk to several people in that indie vendor hall about their games. And sometimes those are the ones that I'll have the most trouble with because they're just prototypes, right? They're just getting, they haven't gone through this. They also might be a brand new designer. So they haven't gone through um, accessibility, this process. Why would they have, right? Especially if right. they don't have those barriers. So getting to have those conversations, more than one of them said, I will absolutely contact you as we get this more fully fleshed out to take a look at. So that was cool. I could imagine getting to do some more reviews or getting to see some um, ad advance or next level versions of these games as they go into to some of their things. And just got to have the little kind of one minute spiel about, hey, here's here's what you can do. You know, color palette is important. There's some things you can do by making your color palette more color vision accessible, but, and then also talking about double coding as you know, we talked about before today. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. And the different tools, there are tools you can use online, but it's always best to have somebody who has a color vision deficiency, take a look at it. And for me, I love holding it in my hand. So it's nice to see things on the screen. I can kind of do my best, but frankly, even this will happen to me too, is I'll really have trouble with something I'll take a picture of it and post it on Twitter or something. And on Twitter, I can actually see it. I'm like, oh, man, my, <laughs> this photo didn't capture my experience that I had. I think because the lighting is different with the photo. The cameras, as good as they are, they still don't capture reality, right? They're capturing yeah. a version of it with the limitation of the colors that that camera can see that are just different than what the naked eye can see. So there's that. So getting to actually see the components, have them in hand, um, play with them is, is something that's in, you know, important as well. But yeah, yeah. So that was cool. the other thing about the business card that kind of freaked me out is I did not put a phone number on here. I've never seen, I never made a business card in my life that didn't have my phone number on it. So again, as like an older person, um, it was just an odd thing to do to think, Oh, that's, that's just not, that's not the way that I connect with people in this space. I don't, you know, need people to quote unquote, call me on the telephone. <laughs> or I guess yeah. uh, we just, we interact in different ways. So that was kind of, yeah, just a, a note as I was creating those. But that was actually a, a pleasant surprise. I had a few in my pocket every day thinking maybe there'd be opportunities. And I found that I really ran through them um, quite a bit faster than I thought I would. So uh -huh. I definitely think it was, a, it was a good like it was a good connection for me, especially since it's the first time I've been to a place like that to get to make connections with folks and to kind of get myself out of my comfort zone to make that choice to you know pull my card out of my pocket and share with them what I do um, was yeah, it's always good to, for me at least, kind of good. Even though I am an extrovert, I've kind of maybe laxed on that a little as, you know, through COVID especially. 
So to be like back in the game and then getting to meet people and trying to make connections, connecting people to each other who maybe I knew, but they didn't know each other. I got to do just a little bit of that. And I think that'll just continue as I get to go to maybe this event again or events like it in the future. So definitely had me thumbs up and positive on, you know, going to cons in general as a, a fun part of the hobby and I guess useful, but it's like useful to what end, right? I'm not, this isn't my day job. This isn't my, um, so like the more fun I can have, I think it's just going to be more fun to know more of the people who are making and creating these games and maybe to help them make the games better that in my definition of better is more accessible to more people and therefore have some impact on the industry, right? I, I talk often and in kind of my, my big colorblind games, one-on-one article, the end of that article is I really hope that I don't have, not that I don't exist, but that this website doesn't have to exist at some point, right? The whole idea is that this is a non-issue and that one, new games that come out will be color vision accessible because we've all learned the tools and things we need to learn. And two, even older games, as they are revised and reprinted, a perfect example of that is Sagrada. So the most recent version of, or the new Sagrada, I forget what it's called. You may know, but I don't remember it's on crowdfunding right now. Um, yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I think that is Sagrada Artisans or fill in the real title here. Um, that one is they've actually really gone through the process um, because people like me and others have struggled with this game since it came out. Is they have and are working through solutions to have a colorblind friendly version of that new game, Sagrada Artisans. And um, as part of that same article or newsletter thing or whatever they shared, have said that every new printing of Sagrada is going to use that same style. So there will the new base Sagrada game from five years ago, whenever it's reprinted and for now, forever, when you see that in a store, it's going to be a colorblind friendly version, not as a special case, but as the standard version of Sagrada will now have those color vision friendly elements, which to me, that's the story. Like that's, that's the success story of how we can even go back to games like that. Very much color based, right? That entire game is color and still find a way to make them color vision friendly as well. So that was cool. I was excited to hear about that and excited to just get to keep doing my little part in, you know, helping make that part better. So I saw that they were making that one colorblind friendly, but I didn't know that they were doing the other games too. Like, uh, so that's really cool to hear. Cause yeah, I have friends that talk about playing that game and sometimes they'll like write on a piece of paper. These are the pur- like purple. And so you have to like separate it into the purples circle or the purple, you know, like the green sheets or whatever. Yeah, one of those people is me because I literally have that. I have, I have a friend who created that for me. He made a white piece of paper that has circles for each of the colors. Oh, yeah. And I still struggle sometimes with the board. Um, and yeah, because those dice are translucent for maybe those who haven't played Sagrada, that makes it harder. One particular issue, translucent dice, especially translucent dice on a darker table, um, can be harder for colorblind people to see, at least for me, I can speak. Um, so that's that's an issue. Yeah, the one thing is funny. I have a copy of Sagrada that I haven't marked up yet because I need to do a mod- modified version of mine that I own. So now my debate is, oh, do I go ahead and do that? Because that also would be a good article to write of here's how you can mark up your Sagrada because everybody's not going to go buy the new one. Yeah. Um, or do I wait, sell or give this base one away and then wait f- and then get the new one? Who knows? I might end up doing both and keeping them both is kind of a story of um of that particular game but 
Yeah. Yeah, that I was one of my – that might have been my very first written review, I think, was for Sagrada for exactly that reason. I had played it and, yeah, had that – had some trouble with it. I'm wondering if I'm mixing people up and you just – you were the person that I saw that from. Oh, we could be. We've, talked, we've talked a lot in we've the last talked about years, so, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so it could have been. I'm sorry if I made that mistake. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. It reminds me, I think, a conversation we had recently about a conversation we had long ago about a Marvel United X-Men. Yeah. And I was actually talking to Peter McPherson. So Peter, as I mentioned, the designer of Tiny Towns, um, he and I are both colorblind, but we're different types of colorblind. So it's really interesting for us to talk to each other um, about how and even look at things side by side, which we couldn't do before we were together in person. So to talk through some of that nuance of how we see different things. Um, and Peter actually had a playtester or a friend or somebody who is 100% colorblind. They actually see in grayscale, which is oh, extremely wow. rare. That's that's percent of a percent of a percent. I've never met anybody with that particular condition. Um, and they were struggling with tiny towns. You know, if you know tiny towns, there is a part of that game is just cubes that are colored. The color palette is very good um, for me and for Peter, because he designed the thing and even modified the colors over time. But it is a little bit tricky or very tricky for someone who's who literally just sees in, in shades of gray or has very severe color vision deficiency so one thing I'm working on, um, Scoop, it's not out yet, but um, actually did a uh, version of Tiny Towns where I replaced the little cubes with, like the yellow cube is now actually wheat. Like I used a um, upgraded wheat from like um, Agricola or something uh-huh. and cobbled together a version of that that uses other pieces. I bought some bricks from one of those companies that does you know different little pieces. So I've got a version, I played it, took the photos, Interestingly, some of it didn't go well. I actually created some problems <laughs> myself oh, no. because of the versions of things that I had, which is really, I think, really useful um, for me to tell that story. So I'm working on that story, and I'll have that article out with some photos of that soon. But one way that you can definitely make a game more colorblind friendly usually is upgrading components so that you are, with Tiny Town specifically, if you think that wheat is now double-coated because not only is it yellow, but it actually looks like wheat – and yeah. wheat is the thing that you're putting on your board to make that building or whatever. So, yeah, so interesting stuff there. Where was I going? Oh, but you and I are having the conversation about um, Marvel United X-Men and some people confusing two of the colors that I have no problem with. I think it was maybe red and purple that for some people looked the same um, to me because I think if I remember there's gray, red, and purple minis, that might be the three colors. They're blue. Of the minis. Yeah. Oh, they're blue. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. They <laughs> let me, let me correct the colorblind guy. <laughs> no, please. It actually is helpful. That's actually another note for everybody out there. Never feel like you shouldn't correct the colorblind people because I always appreciate it because now I'll remember that that is blue. So when I pull that out, I actually have it, but I haven't played it yet. Um, That's the an interesting version. thing is I've, people have told me like they'll see a tree type thing and it'll all look brown to them. The entire thing, trunk and trees all look the same. But once you say like the trunk is brown, the trees are green, like their brain can kind of adjust and start to like yeah. notice the difference. But yeah. So a couple of things on the, with things in nature like that, like I always assume trunks are brown and leaves are green like because I'm using context, right? They're double coded. Yeah. Like a lot of things are double coded. Um, people's shirts are not double coded, right? I don't know if you're just wearing a blue or purple shirt. I don't know what color that is. Um, for my clothes, 
I will, um, one, I'll not shop alone. Usually I'll get some help when I'm at the store. Um, my wife or someone, or one of my kids will help me if I'm asking questions. And then I will almost always be sure that I know. So I know that the shorts are blue, but once I'm told you're right, it will actually look different. Like my brain will change if I thought something was a certain color and then I'm told it's a different color. Um, so it's really important that you don't screw around with colorblind people either. Cause you really will, like, they really will see what you tell them to see sometimes because of that. At least I do. Um, I had friends in college who would mess around with me in that way. And it was hilarious and super frustrating at the same time. Uh, so, but that's, yeah. you know, it's college. Yeah. I think it was on the last one we did with Dustin who talked about how they take like a marker and they'll put it behind your head and go into your peripheral and say like, yeah, what color do you a, see? Yeah, that's a good, I don't know what episode number that is or if you even number your episodes, but yeah, the do, one yeah. with Justin and me, I, yeah, I would recommend going back. That was a story I had not heard, but the idea behind that that Dustin shared that I thought was really cool is almost most everyone is colorblind in your peripheral vision. Yeah. So one thing you can think about is, yeah, if you just look straight ahead and then look in your peripheral and try to identify colors, you probably can't. And so that's a way to think about not maybe not exactly. Of course, everybody is a little bit different, but that's a way to think about how color vision deficiency might look like or a way that you can try to look at it. There's also, you know, there's filters online that help you see kind of what a colorblind person might see in these different areas. Um, some yeah. of those are really good and, and are a good fit to what I see and some of them aren't, but it's, you know, that's a good place to start too. But yeah, that's a good point. That peripheral vision piece and that everybody see everybody sees things a little bit differently. So that's the thing to think of too. It's kind of like a mind blow thing is like, well, why do you call that green? Is your, if you were actually not even colorblind, if you were in someone else's head, who's not colorblind, um, they might see green a different way, but you will, you both learned that that thing is green when you were three years old. And so um yeah, reality is created, right? And especially the way that we call things a certain thing or a certain color, it's all just, yeah, science. Yeah, it's like <laughs> when, you know, when you're a kid, it's like, here's a dog. It has four legs. It has a tail. Oh, dog, meow. No, nope, that one's a cat. You know, like, yes, it has four legs. It's furry. It's got a tail, <laughs> but it's a cat. You know, like, you're kind of expanding your knowledge. And even in colors, like, especially in colors. Holy moly. You, you can't, you can say purple and people have an idea of instantly somebody's going to have a shade of purple that pops into their head, but there are an insane amount of different shades of purple. Absolutely. And if you think about how usually your kindergarten or first grade school list just has a Crayola eight as the crayons that you bring. Then as you get older, it might have like the 24 box or the 48 box or the hundred box or whatever. Yeah. And so you, Part of that is even that, you know, ramping up to how you can, how kids can understand what colors are. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that episode was episode 37. Nice. There, we go. there you go. Go listen to that one. That was a really fun <laughs> one. Because we, I should have done that differently in hindsight. I should have just done an episode dedicated to you and then an episode dedicated to like talking about it with you and Dustin. Because we could have done that for hours, I think. That was fascinating. Oh, yeah. Well, a good reason to do this today. So we get to dip into it today. This has been a good kind of combo. Of, I'm a combo episode guy, yeah. I guess. That's, that's my thing. We'll talk about shucks. We'll talk about colorblindness. I know. Um, it's like now you've had collectively one whole episode for you, maybe. <laughs> there and then you, go. Yeah, you need to play 37 and this one back to back. And you'll get, you'll get the full 
colorblind games experience. <laughs> um, I did have two other quick stories from Shucks I wanted to share. Absolutely. Um, one was a game that I was kind of, in some ways, kind of dreading when I sat down to the table. I was a little bit nervous. It's called Kemet. K-E-M-E-T. Oh, yeah. It's a troops on a map game. Um, I'd never played it before. Um, it looks like it's, yeah, I was going to say just design. Oh, I'm getting names I'm going to have trouble with. Designed by Jacques Berio and Guillaume Montiage. Ooh, I'm sorry. That's absolutely on my ignorance, not knowing those and not checking them before I pulled up the BGG page. Hey, that's okay. Um, people can look at it. Plays two to five. We played a game of four players. It was three people I didn't know, including a kid. It was maybe 10 or 11. And it looked pretty meaty. It's a, there's a lot of stuff on that map. And there, you have a lot of troops in front of you. And none of us had ever played before. We had the orange balloon up, but it was first thing in the morning. And there weren't enough volunteers around for anybody to come teach it to us. So we essentially learned that game by ourselves from the rule book. Um, so I was like, oh, boy, this is how's, you know, this might be my entire morning <laughs> is trying to learn and play this game. I was wrong. It was fantastic. I had a great time playing Kemet and we absolutely played again. Oh, nice. I haven't played like the Eric Ling trilogy of Troops on a Map games, you know, Ankh and Blood Rage and Rising Sun. Um, so this was really probably one of my first, besides like pr- playing Risk as a kid or something, one of my first troops on a map game, but I had a great time. I thought it was really fun. I would highly recommend it if you have a chance to play it and like play stuff that you don't think you're going to like. That would be my other recommendation. At least that's been useful to me is, is there are certain games that I know are probably going to be a hit for me. I love polyomino games, love Rowan rights. I love quick 15 to 30 minute experiences. I love small box games. I love button shy type wallet games. But um, I also do like bigger, longer experiences sometimes, too. This one ended up not being that. I think we played it in 90 minutes or so, even with the teach and trying to figure it out. And, yeah, so that's, yeah, Kimmet recommended. That's awesome. it's, it, was, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go through some more game highlights, right? Do you have yeah, more? I think the I do have more. Let me go. <laughs> Um, even maybe a couple, I will say a couple games that I played and didn't like as much, which I, which oh, yeah. I think is still still worthy to talk about. That's still highlighting something. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. One is called Veiled Fate. This is a new new game, I think, this year. Um, I don't know the details on it because I didn't bring it up in terms of who designed it. I think the designer was there. Um, I didn't play in the game. The designer wasn't at my table. I played a random game of this. We played it six players, which meant that you had partners um, but you don't know who your partner is. So this is kind of a social deduction um, game. You are a god who's trying to get your demigod to win with the most points or the most favor. And so um, lots of moving things around the board, around kind of the circle board, and then um, just trying to manipulate the world underneath them so that your demigod would be would get the most points you and your partner are doing this but you don't know who your partner is among the other five players so you're trying to deduct um both who is my partner so that we can play with each other together and 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 do well and our demigod wins so that we win and the second part is who are the other teams and who are they trying to promote so that i can get in their way and so it was kind of interesting that's not my style of game I've never really been a huge fan of social deduction games. I don't really play a lot of werewolf or things of that nature. It just hasn't really been on my radar. 
as games that I love. Partially, I just haven't played that many of them. Yeah. Um, I think it would be, it's typically played where just you are trying to get your own demigod and you don't have partners. Just when you get up to six players is when you go to the teams. So I do want to play it again at a smaller player count where you're, um, you don't have that team piece. Cause I think for me, it was one level too many of trying to deduce. And a couple of people were really good at deducing cause I, I didn't know them before, but they're apparently awesome at games <laughs> or awesome at this kind of game. Yeah. So they essentially kind of knew who was moving who pretty early in the game. And I did not know that. So um, there was that. So still, I think there's something there. I just, I'd want to play it again at a, at a different style or different player count. Another one I play that I'd never played but always heard of is called Inish, I-N-I-S. Um, this is a, I don't even know how to describe this, Inish. Maybe just have you have folks look it up. But it's a very, it's a very well-known game, kind of meaty game, very Celtic theme. Um, again, there's, there's some kind of deduction. There's a, only a certain, there's cards that you pass around. Oh, drafting games. So you're drafting cards and passing cards that you don't want in each of the rounds. And then you've got maybe three or four cards that are the cards you're going to play that game. So again, you're trying to deduce based on what's been passed to you, based on where other players are on the board, what you think they're going to play this round. Um, I'm not very good at that, as I mentioned before. And is highly dependent on how well you know the game. And two of the players of the five of us were experts at this game. So they were kind of making inside jokes with each other about, oh, I bet you're doing this or I'm doing that or kind of those knowing nods or eyebrow raises of what was happening. And I, I, that was all over my head. I had no clue what they were talking about. Um, interestingly, neither of them won the game. I also did not win, but it was fun to see somebody else win, which was kind of cool. That's good. Um, but even these like wow moments, I kind of didn't get why it was so wow, if that makes sense. So it was fine. Probably not, not a game that I would jump to play. Also not a game I would say no to but I would say probably would be a better experience if the people at the table had about the same experience with the game. So either all experts I think would be kind of cool or all kind of more in the middle of having played a couple games, but not having, I think that that dispersion or that difference. Cause if you have, there's only, even with five players, there were only 15 or 20 cards and I could tell they had those cards memorized. So they knew what combination of cards to have in their hand. They knew what they were passing off to the other people and so knowing that game really well would make a huge difference. And I'm not a huge fan of those kinds of games because it makes that discrepancy or that gap, that gap wider where there's a lot of games where it really doesn't matter, right? You play, no matter how many times you play Cascadia, you're not, the tiles are the tiles, right? You're not memorizing what's, what's in or, or not in the combination of things. Yeah. Um, and even that you're leaving some tiles out usually in a game like Cascadia. So nobody knows exactly what's going to come up because you're only using a subset and all the scoring conditions are free and open to all players to see. So that's probably more my styles where everybody can see everything and that memorizing the game doesn't provide as much benefit. So that's Inish. Again, didn't dislike it, but it was um, not necessarily on the, the top of my list of some of the other ones that I had played. And then one that I did actually really enjoy is a basically a little kids dexterity game. I forgot to mention they have they had a little dexterity area that were just like walk up to these like those stand up tables that they have at conferences. You stand up and play. Be like say they didn't have Jenga, but say like Jenga is up there. Or there's a game called the Fuzzies that is kind of like Jenga. It's these little fuzzy balls that are all attached to each other, 
And you essentially just have to pull a fuzzy ball off the bottom somewhere and then put it on the top. And then you pick the different colors. Um, I had color problems with that one, actually. So I had to get some help from people I played with. But it was surprisingly fun. It's like a quiet version of Jenga because if it falls down, it's just like, you know, instead of the sound of Jenga. Yeah. And if you (laughs) fail or something, or if something happens where you don't do something right, you have to take a card. And the cards are bad. So the cards will be things like, oh, you can only use, I don't know, your two fingers instead of a thumb to grab the little fuzzy or um, you have to take something from the very bottom or you have to place the fuzzy at the very top. Or usually you just, you just place the fuzzy somewhere a little bit higher than where you drew it from. So things like that. Interesting. Then the other one is called loop and Louie. Loop and Louie is a very old game from either the eighties or nineties. That's been reproduced a couple of times. It's a toy, truly a toy. Um, that probably find it Target or Walmart, or at least you can in cycles whenever they you know bring it out again. And it's just this battery powered airplane that flies around, and you have these discs or coins that are kind of in front of you, and then you have a little um, lever that you push to bop up the airplane. You're trying to bop the airplane up as it's going around so that it lands on your opponent's coins and knocks their coins off. So you're trying to protect your three coins while you're knocking off the discs or coins from your opponents. And so there's a very interesting timing dexterity to be sure that this plane doesn't land on your coins or knock off your coins. But also if you hit it just right, you can get it to like perfectly land on your opponent's coins so that they don't really have a chance to uh, knock, to basically save their coins. So silly, funny little game that um, I had more fun with that I ever expected to. Um, Ryan Esten from the Tabletop Express is a huge fan of Lupin Louie, and he was very excited that I had a chance to play. So uh, that's Lupin Louie. I remember him talking about that in our El yeah, Grande yeah, play. Well, <laughs> and then they had there, but I didn't get to play Crocodile, which is another Ryan Esten special. He loves that game. I did see that there, but it was always full whenever I went by. So didn't have a chance to play that. And a couple other just, you know, very fun little quick dexterity type games. So it was cool to have that. So a lot of, it's a very kinetic conference, right? There's a lot of things happening, both those yeah. games. And then you've got the uh, indie hall and then you've got the vendor exhibit hall. And then you've got lots, you know, hundreds or dozens of people playing games. I actually don't know how many people that were there. I was thinking about that, that, it could have been anywhere from 300 to 1,000 people. If you would have told me any number in that range, I would believe you. Um, I didn't actually see a um, attendee count or anything, but because things are kind of happening in different places, no one was ever – everyone was never all together in the exact same spot. Yeah. Because then they also were doing things I didn't participate in. They had a whole TTRPG space in the back where they were doing role-play games throughout the whole conference – there's a game that's apparently very, very popular called Blood on the Watchtower um, that is a RPG experience, I think. And so I saw people, you had to sign up for that, and there was like a new one every couple hours. And so a lot of things happening in that realm. I haven't gotten into the RPG world yet. I know folks were doing some one-shots and all kinds of things there too. So I can see that to be a, a fun thing to dip my toes into next time I go as well. So. That's cool. Yeah, it, yeah, that seems like a safe cool. space to be able to, because a lot of times it's hard to like get a group and somebody who wants to run the game. So I've never done it either. Like I've gone to, they have that same like RPG area at all the events I go to, and I'm like, I never go in. And I talk to other people who are like into TTRPGs and board games, and they're like, Yeah, but why would you go? Like you have this game library, 
here and you can play all these awesome games like <laughs> oh for so sure like I, I, did, RPG, I mean you know i paid to go to a conference and just sat at a table and play games almost all day for two and a half yeah. days like that's <laughs> which i could have done that at my local game store i could have done that at my house i have you know hundreds of games behind me right now but there's something about the energy the people playing games that i don't own um is fun but it really was the people, right? Both random people that I got to meet, but then all the the folks who I talked about, you know, getting to meet as well. Which, by the way, one very quick story to finish up. One thing that happened, this was on Saturday night. I had mentioned Fit to Print before, the Peter oh, McPherson yeah, yeah. game from Flat Out. They did a test of something that Peter was testing at home with his wife of a co-op party version where, um, so Fit to Print, you're essentially making a newspaper. And so it's a tiling game. It's real time where you're trying to make a paper that has, you know, certain attributes. So there's different low or different icons you're trying to match up. You're trying to fill the board. So it is a polyomino game, like a, you know, any other polyomino type game. But what this version did, this is the first time they'd ever tested it is that they actually had teams. So one person was sitting at their, the desk kind of, you know, putting together the paper. The other person would run across to a different table and go grab the tiles and bring them over. So they had to communicate with each other about what they needed there also is a little dexterity element of this game where you only put tiles on this little 3D desk um, that's sitting on your table. The normal game, those are just the tile. The, the only tiles you can get is those that will fit on the desk without falling off. If they fall off, you don't get to use them. Wow. In this game, they actually had to carry the desk over to the table, put tiles on it, and then carry it back over. Oh, my god! So you see these, like, grown adults, like, walking over very carefully. If you imagine, like, the... The egg spoon... Exactly. The egg spoon game or things like that. That's exactly what it looked like. So there's a a really cool, I actually took video of one of the rounds and um, the Cavre guys in their shucks review video, you can see they did a sped up version of that and it looks hilarious. It was really cool. And what they did with that, but so that was really cool. Extremely successful play test. It was the first time they'd ever even tried it and it worked really well. So I think they're going to actually end up writing that in as like a variant in the rules of something that you can try. Um, based on the experience we had there. So it's fun to be part of like, oh, this is the first time we've ever tried this new thing. And to get to see that happen was fun. And that was like, I think it was 10 people. I think they played five teams of two. So to get to play a game, you know, typically a game, a flat out type game, a tile lane game is two to four or one to four, right? They have pretty good solo modes as well, but I've never played a 10 player version of any of those games. So to get to, for that to get to be a possibility and you could break this out in a, a party kind of way I think would be really fun too. So that is really entertaining. I, I've seen so many pictures of that one from the convention and I'm like, that looks awesome. Like I love the idea of it. I think that's really clever. And then it's not like you're not making just a normal newspaper, right? It's like anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, people, animals, you know, tool did the artwork, which looks awesome. It's definitely yeah. like that old school. You can imagine the accents of these, you know, reporters and characters. Yeah. And, you got a J. You uh, are J. Jonah Jameson in this, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Get me my pictures. Me exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then they've got, as you imagine, very clever little headlines that have all kinds of insight, you know, little jokes and things about animals, etc. Yeah. So, yeah. Really fun game. One thing that I have run into is there are two colors that are a little bit close for me that I've been having trouble with. Um, I talked to Peter and Sean at Flatout about this and they actually had this or Peter had the same problem. So they already corrected oh. that. There's going to be a new version of that. So um, he's, he showed me a, a picture of that on his phone, at least of the 
the update they're making. So that's been kind of fun to even be part of the early process and be able to provide feedback on colors early on, like I talked about before. So getting to do that with fit to print has been cool. I think the the next version will be a little better. Still hard for me, frankly. Um, Real-time games are really tough for people who have any kind of barriers, especially low vision or color vision, because it's just, it's, you have to act so quickly. And sometimes I feel like I don't have time to figure out the different icons that are double coded. I need, because other people are just using the colors and they get to work just a little bit faster. Yeah. And in real time games, that little bit faster can be the difference between winning and losing. So still, I think a little bit of a struggle for me just because it's real time and because there is color as, as part of the, the need to be able, you don't have to discern them because flat out games has always done a great job with double coding. The flat out games also hasn't produced a real time game before. So this is a little bit different. Um, and yeah, it's been an interesting nuance to kind of feel out as I'm taking a look at that and, and working on my review. That's cool. Well, I'm excited to see uh, your review when it comes out. Unfortunately, I have to go soon. So do you want to do a quick ridiculous theme? Do you have one on hand or oh, we can man. No, I let me look around my room real quick. I forgot to even do it. Um, I'm just looking at my passport. I just got my passport renewed. So when we think about something like that, either going through security, I hadn't been, um, inter- I had never flown internationally. So I hadn't been through the whole like security process. So maybe there's something either about running the security and that can get kind of intense and serious. I know there's actually a version. There's a game that does that. This, this pretty intense, um, but I feel like a sillier version. Maybe I'm just trying to get through, I'm trying to get through the airport without having some silly confiscated item that I forgot about. I left an apple in my backpack or something. So uh, you're a player who's got a bunch of stuff in their backpack. It's not anything like actually bad, but it's stuff you can get in trouble for. So um, you have that in your bag and you have to actually shed all the stuff out of your bag before you get to security or you're going to get the whole pat down experience in customs. Nice. I like that. That's a fun, ridiculous theme. Oh, you have a name? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I thought I did. And then I now I don't. Um, <laughs> no. I no. do not have a name yet. <laughs> next, next time we'll have a name ready. Uh, How about yours? Uh, thinking about colors, you know how like Canvas, you have the transparent card, and which is really cool. But maybe alternatively, you there's like the decoder glasses where it's like, red shades you put them on and then all of a sudden you can read the code uh doing something like that but where there's a bunch of like them on a card and so you'll put like a red transparent card on top of another uh on top of a card but then if you put a green transparent thing on that it would reveal different information like oh yeah i yeah. don't even know what I feel it would like be but some yeah i've definitely seen some with that have like the glasses situation yeah. I like the idea of having, yeah, kind of transparent cards, but there's some color element there. Yeah, it's just it sounds like a- um, one sounds like maybe a nightmare for me. So thanks for yes, that one. And two, <laughs> well, maybe something that would be really cool, right? If if you did it subtly enough that, um, or carefully enough that, um, you had some had color vision uh, deficient play testers early on to try to, to kind of get it right. So, that would be the no, really hard part. <laughs> I love the, the yeah, Gloom and um, Mystic Veil also by oh, yeah, John yeah. Declare. Um, some of my favorite games. I really like that idea of the, yeah, the transparent cards. Okay. Cool. All right. Let's wrap it up. Plug your stuff. Let's hear it. All right. So you um, can find me again. Uh, colorblindgames.com is kind of my main hub. All my other contact stuff is there. I'm on Twitter, just hunt down my name or I'm at ChandlerB22 is my handle, I guess, on Twitter. 
Um, also at playability, which is play-ability.net. Um, and then uh, do some stuff with this Tabletop Express, which is tabletop.express. So find me any of those places. And again, all of those are linked at my main hub, which is colorblindgames.com. And yeah, Riley, thanks so much for having me. It's good to chat again. Thanks for listening to the Board Game Community Show. Thank you, Brian, for coming on and chatting with me again. If you enjoy the show, rate, review it, share it with your friends, family, people that you think might enjoy it. Uh, But overall, just thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in other things that I am up to, you can check out What You've Been Playing Wednesdays over on Cardboard Conjecture. I've been contributing over there uh, semi-regularly lately, talking about games that I have been playing lately. You can go to Mr. Rao Gaming, and there's occasional gameplay videos that I am on in there. There's Game Night Insights with Board Game Captain and Board Game Graham. Those are a lot of fun. And there's probably more. You can always interact with me on Twitter at RyleNerd. And that's it. Until next time, keep nerding out. Kind of a, uh, both a memory and fairly recent. I just picked up the game Rear Window. Um, I forget who even done it, but there's a board game now for the movie Rear Window. Um, But one thing that our family does over the Halloween holiday is for the last few years, my uh, wife and I and son have watched a Hitchcock movie and it's almost always rear window. So that's become like a recent tradition. It's interesting. uh, Our son's in college now, so I'm not sure how we're going to make that work. I don't think he's going to be here for Halloween, but maybe sometime if he is back either before or after Halloween, we'll take another shot in and watch the Hitchcock movie rear window. And if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. A lot of these the very old movies sometimes kind of get lost in the shuffle, but if you haven't seen Rear Window by Alfred Hitchcock, that's a, a fond memory for me and looking forward to watching that again soon.